0: It's hard to glorify the name of God when life's worst and deepest hurts are upon us. Things on earth, not as they should be. Yet, through stories of forgiveness, we see a greater work of God. We see the work of God not only in us, but in others, and that is a good thing. No story that I can remember has impacted me, apart from the story of Christ and his cross, than that of Corey 10 boom. I remember meeting her story when I was a young man, the hiding place, and it never really left me. In World War II, Cory and her sister Betsy, were arrested for hiding Jews from the Nazis and were sent to the Ravensbrück concentration camp. Betsy died a slow and terrible death as a result of the cruel treatment she received at the hands of her captors. In 1947, shortly after the war, Corey spoke about God's forgiveness to a church in Munich. Afterward, a man sought her out. She recognized him as one of the guards who had mistreated her and Betsy. He told her that he had recently become a Christian and that with extended hand, he asked for her forgiveness. Here are her words in that moment. It could not have been as many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I ever had to do. For I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men, Their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. I knew it not only as a commandment of God, but as a daily experience. I stood there with coldness, clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me. I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling." So woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, and sprang into our joined hands. And then, This healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with my whole heart. Even with the greatest love, forgiveness is hard. And so I want to point you to another story this morning in the Word, a story of reconciliation and forgiveness. It's found in a small little book that we often overlook. Uh, It should be on page 1,000, the book of Philemon, easy to find, just before the book of Hebrews. As you turn, I'm going to pray for us, so bow your head in prayer. Lord God, who can explain the mystery of forgiveness? Lord, we, none of us, deserve to be here. We don't deserve your mercy. We don't deserve your grace. And so, Lord, I pray that this message will be, as it were, a message in a bottle, Lord, for someone here uh, in full, for all of us in part. Lord, um, as we look at our earth, we see much brokenness. We see the frailty of of our attempts at peace. And Lord, we need a model. And that model ultimately is you, Lord. You modeled true forgiveness, true reconciliation, and you give us true peace. So Lord, I pray that we would forgive as forgiven, Lord, that we would see in this little book today a model, an example, of the forgiveness that we have in Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. I'm going to read the passage for you. uh, We're going to be doing the whole book of Philemon, all 25 verses. So follow along as I read. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Apthia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. I have derived much joy from your love, my brother, because the, saint, the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and, and a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Anisimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. But is more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord? So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it, to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother. Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So we step into the middle of a story here. I think there's a lot of questions, right? Uh, We see some interesting topics. We see slavery involved. Uh, We see that the church whom Paul wrote to met in the house of Philemon. So Philemon had a special place in the heart of Paul, we believe, that Philemon was came to Christ through the ministry of Paul in Ephesus, and now he was leading a church in Colossae, and what we see here is we see a very very personal letter. I read it the way I read it is you should have picked up on the fact that it was very personal, that it was written directly to Philemon, dealing with a particular matter that Paul had become aware of, and Paul had been used by God to save through his message, Onesimus. And an Onesimus was, of course, a slave. Now, slavery is a a complicated thing in our day and age. And I want to give you some context of this particular book so that you can better understand the message. It's it's widely recognized that at least 10% of the Roman world was slaves at this time, perhaps even 20 or 30%. Racially-based slavery was present, but not the primary form of slavery. When the Romans would conquer countries, they would either slaughter the people in rebellion, or they would subjugate them as slaves, usually the men, taking them from their homes to other areas of the Roman empires where they would not be conspiring to revolt. Once in a master's house, they had zero rights. Slaves had no rights whatsoever. They were tools of their masters, and abuse was very prevalent. Yet, we have Paul's economy, Christ's economy. There's slave nor free. You were either believer or unbeliever. And when you became a believer, how you acted and lived radically changed. The commands were radical. Think about slaves, respect your masters, masters, treat your slaves with respect. Colossians 3 were the commands that Paul gave. Paul sought change on the micro level, not the macro level. So we wouldn't expect Paul to speak directly out against slavery. That would have hindered the gospel message from going forward. And then what Paul's intent was, was to gather the people who were transformed by the love of Christ into the church. And that, as we all know, is the true tool that God uses to rid the world of slavery. So... As we look at this, we consider Onesimus. Onesimus was an escaped slave, and in that time, an escaped slave meant death. Instead, Paul sought reconciliation for this slave. He sought to apply the gospel instead of the law. If you read God's word pretty regularly, you're used to Paul's hard-to-understand words. We see that Peter says that. They're hard-to-understand like the other letters in Ephesians and Romans, sometimes it's hard for us to follow. This is a very practical book. And his goal is to persuade and to demonstrate all this theology that Paul has taught in the other epistles. To change the heart, the mind, and the actions of Philemon. And remember in verse 16, if you look at that, he he says, no longer as a slave or a bondservant, His goal here is to be received as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord? There's the goal. That's the goal of this letter, to receive him as more than just a slave. And it's a persuasive letter. And I think so much uh, of that persuasion has been lost in our day. We have tweets. We have texts, we have all these things, and Paul logically lays out a mirror by which for us to understand true reconciliation. I want to be careful here because Paul is not the true mediator, okay? Paul is a mirror. We don't want to put Paul on a pedestal here. Christum, the early church father, said even if he was Paul, he was still a man, that's what we all are, men and women, made in the image of God, but now being transformed through Christ, we have a job to do. Paul was just a tool. He was a bridge, and we see that particularly in how he became, Onesimus, became a believer through Christ. And it was impossible for Paul to produce this change in Philemon's heart. If you look at verse one, Paul was a prisoner. It's very interesting um, how much of the Bible is actually written by prisoners, people in exile, people under severe persecution. You ever think about that? How much of it is written by people who are unable to actually physically make a real change? And that Paul sees the work of Christ behind the scenes and places himself as a tool in God's hands. If we remember the series on Esther, God is deeply at work behind the scenes. We celebrated St. Patrick's Day this week. And if you know anything about St. Patrick, he was also a slave in Ireland. He was a British man sent to Ireland. And he wrote this He looked not only to the hearts, his own heart, but into the hearts of others. What he saw convinced him of the bright side, that even slave traders can turn into liberators, even murderers can act as peacemakers, even barbarians can take their place among the nobility of heaven. Anybody can be transformed by the love of Christ. And we don't see theological words here. We don't see the words repent, forgiveness, or even reconciliation. You do not find those words. He uses few theological words. You see another law at play, You see that of sacrificial love. Of course, mirroring Christ's sacrifice. And even though love is at play, as I read in the beginning, it is hard. It is difficult. To reconcile means to come together as you once were, again, in peace. So love is not only enough. As we saw in the story of Corey Ten Boom, there is a command to love and to obey. So it's not just not just love, it's also obedience. And that said, I don't, I don't want to minimize pain or hurt in your own life. There are times where you have been hurt, deeply hurt by someone else. And we see in this letter there's more questions than there are answers. We don't know the level of pain that Anisimus caused. We don't know the sin of Philemon. And Paul left out those details. And I would commend to you that reconciliation is a process, not a pill. It takes time. We get a snapshot of a moment in time in Philemon where we see reconciliation taking place. So what can we learn? What can we learn? We see Paul's humble love. Humble love. There's a quote I want to read to you, if I can bring it up here. Throwing this in there for a friend. The Brothers Karamazov. At some thoughts, one stands perplexed, especially at the sight of men's sins, and wonders whether one should use force or humble love. Always decide to use humble love. If you resolve on that, once and for all, you may subdue the whole world. Loving humility is marvelously strong, the strongest of all things, and there is nothing like it. So what we see here is we see this humble love of Paul, and I I want you to look at the book itself and see how Paul goes about exhibiting humble love. Three points. Paul's prayer and praise, we see that. We see Paul's plea, and we see Paul's promise. We see Paul's prayer and praise for Philemon, Paul's plea to Philemon, and Paul's promise to Philemon. So let's, let's imagine what the situation would have been when this letter was delivered. Tychicus, along with Onesimus, An- arrived to Colossae after a hundred-mile journey, delivering the letter, from delivering a letter to Ephesus. The door swings open on a Sunday morning meeting. Philemon and his family, maybe the church, are present. There's Onesimus, the traitor, standing alongside Tychicus. What were they to think? I would think that the the rush of emotions flooded Philemon's mind. Onesimus, here? I wish Paul had warned me. Philemon staring at Onesimus, having no idea why he was standing in the door. What had he done now? Remembering his manners, he offers Tychicus and Onesimus something to drink and some food to refresh them after their journey. After a few meetings and warm hugs, Tychicus gently motions to the group of believers, sit down, everyone. I have a letter to read to you from our brother Paul. And he reads the letter to the Colossians, maybe the book of Ephesians, and the letter to the Laodiceans. Yes, there was a letter to the Laodiceans. And finally, the letter we read this morning. So how is Paul, or how is Philemon to respond? All eyes are on him. So we know that Paul is already, by reading this letter, has already softened the heart of Philemon. Philemon was a believer. So when we talk about reconciliation this morning, we're talking about it in lines of people who are already believers. Some people have been believers for a long time. Some people have been believers for a short time. And so how does Paul approach Philemon? First, he prays and praises praises God for his friend. It's his way of saying, Philemon, I've been praying for you. Remember who you are in Christ. Remember the change Christ made into you. Remember the transformation. Keep doing what you've been doing. Look at the verses. Verse 4, thankfulness to God in his prayers when he remembers Philemon. Verse 5, praise of his love and faith towards Jesus and the saints. Verse 6, prayer of the full knowledge of every good thing in Christ. And verse 7, praise of Philemon as a conduit of joy and love to Paul because he refreshes the saints. Paul knows Philemon's love for Christ and the saints and his friendship is going to lead to a good outcome. He is confident that the work of Christ in his life will work the same for Onesimus. Philemon is exhibit A of gospel transformation. So let's talk practically Prayer. Pray for your enemies. Before you pray for your enemies, what do you see? Person in front of you? Maybe hate? Maybe anger? But when you pray, you take that parallel line and you add a vertical element to it. You add God. You make a 2D relationship, 3D. You add the Holy Spirit. You think of that person entirely differently when you pray for someone. It creates a connection, not only between you and that person, but between you, God, and that person. Your relationship fundamentally changes. I firmly believe you cannot hate someone you are praying for. You can't do it. And praise basically In the case of the believer, that we are confident that we will do eventually the right thing. So, Paul's foundation starts with praise and prayer of Philemon. Second, Paul's plea. Now, what? Philemon knows who he is, he's reminded who he is. Now we see Paul, his gospel transformation. What do we know about Paul? The chief the chief of sinners, had persecuted the church. He's in a prison cell. What can he do to convince Philemon? Paul himself had been reconciled with God. He had peace with God. And so he is a pointer, a minister of reconciliation to this work that God had done. So let's turn. We're actually going to go to 2 Corinthians 5, 14-21, and we'll read I'm going to keep, keep your finger in both places if you can. Because we're going to jump back and forth here. Paul's going to talk about what it means to be radically reconciled to Christ. We'll be in 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 21. Let's look at verses 14 and 15. For the love of Christ controls us, but we have concluded this, that one has died for all, and therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So stop there. Everyone in the story is dead. Not dead physically, of course, but dead spiritually, and dead to their old way of life. Paul to his life of persecution, Philemon to his right to justice, Onesimus to his, light, his right for sin. Jesus is at the helm now. When Jesus gives orders, when Jesus commands, Paul listens, and Paul expects the same for Philemon and Onesimus. This is another way of saying that each one of the characters don't live for themselves anymore. Not for money, not for pleasure, not for fame, not for being right or wronged, anything to do with their own self will, but for Christ who died and rose again. When you are a believer, the one who defeated death now rules your life. You can serve self or serve God, but you can't serve both. Paul serves Christ. Philemon serves Christ. Anissimus serves Christ. No one can put their foot down and say no to forgiveness. You're not allowed anymore. If you remember the story of Cory ten Boom, there was an obedience that came there to forgive that guard. She was following orders. Do you need to follow an order to forgive? Keep your finger in 2 Corinthians and turn back to Philemon. Look at verse 8. Although I said order, what does Paul do? Paul's appealing to a heart change, to transformation. Verse 8, though he could command Philemon, he didn't. Look at verse 14. He didn't want to manipulate Philemon, but let the radical change that Christ did in Philemon move him to do the right thing, not by compulsion, but of his own accord. Ultimately, Christ compels us to reconcile, not Paul. A good minister points to Christ as the true mediator. Paul is just a pointer here. Back to Second Corinthians, verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard, we think about, we reckon, no one according to the flesh. Though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we thus regard him no longer. Don't look at the flesh. Don't look at the outside. Having a new master, we no longer judge by physical appearance, but we judge people spiritually. We reckon our relationship to others spiritually, not physically. This is foundational to reconciliation and broadly love. Love looks beyond the flesh. We don't see our family, co-workers, or even our enemies the same. Jesus operates in the spiritual realm. We operate in the spiritual realm. Any evil done requires a spiritual transaction to resolve, not a physical one. We don't get revenge with punches or with whips. We forgive. We don't hate with words or slander. We love. Remember the goal of Paul. Look at verse 16 in Philemon. Not a slave, Not a tool, but a man more than a man, a spiritual brother than Christ. Look at people through a new lens. Especially believers. Verse 17, back to 2 Corinthians. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Paul's a new person. Philemon is a new person. Onesimus, also a new person. Old Paul, new Paul. Old Philemon, new Philemon. Old Onesimus, one who stole and fled, now new Onesimus. His name actually means profitable or useful. Once unprofitable, now profitable. Once an enemy, now seated at the table. Philemon can now trust Onesimus because he's a new creation. Paul has put his very heart, put his stamp of approval in verse 12. Paul believes it. Philemon believe it. Back to 2 Corinthians. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him. And entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. Through us, a mediator. Christ working in us, giving us a job to do in this world to make peace, a peacemaker. Someone who steps in the gap. Someone who says, no, I don't want this situation to continue. I don't want to continue to have strife in my family. I want to do something about it. I want to mirror Christ. Let's talk about family. Where does most conflict happen? Take it by your answer? You agree. Family, right? We're around each other the most. But they're all the same family now. Verse 10. Philemon calls Onesimus his child. Verse 19 says Philemon owes him his own self. Paul's the spiritual father here. Kids. What do you do when you fight with someone in your family? Particularly your brother and sister. You sometimes wish you had a different brother or sister. God, give me a new one. I want a different one. No. No, you have to make peace because you're part of the same family. In the sense, in the same sense, Onesimus, Philemon, and Paul are part of the same family. And that's the foundation that they have to make peace. They are not able in and of themselves. They appeal to to a higher father, and that is the Lord. So you, as a new creation Christ, are commanded to go and make peace, wherever you are. So how do I start? How do you start to make peace? First of all, I want you to notice that Paul, though he could have kept Onesimus with him, he sent him. He said, go. You're a reconciled man to Christ. Go to Philemon and ask for forgiveness. Go. There's something about physical presence that places a mandate on parties to make peace. We see that so often. You can't do it through Zoom. You have to go to the person. If there's a war, they send ambassadors or envoys to go in person, meet together, make peace, figure it out. Get in the same room. Brother, sister, husband, wife, get in the same room. Matthew 18, the first thing is to go. Tell your brother his fault. Matthew 5.24, if you're here and you realize your brother has something against you, go and be reconciled. Go, go, go. I think it's because Paul wanted Philemon and Onesimus to look at each other in the eyes. So that Philemon could see, this is a different man. This is not the man that I knew, not the man that stole from me, not the man that that did me wrong. But this is a new man. And when you look someone in the eyes, it means you value them. Maybe even Philemon teared up after hearing the transformation of Onesimus. How could he have hugged him if he wasn't present? How could they not eat together if they weren't present? Presence facilitates peace. And you know what the goal of confrontation is? The goal of confrontation is not to get angry at each other. The goal of confrontation is to seek the truth. And the truth was that Anisimus was a changed man. God's sovereignty. Let's look at that. God's sovereignty. Verse 15. This is perhaps, perhaps Paul's taking a guess here. Remember, he doesn't have the full picture. He was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but as more than a slave, as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. God is up to something, and Paul sees the hand of God in it. God is doing more than you think in your broken relationship. Think of the story of the prodigal son. Had the son not left, the story would not be as beautiful Remember, the right response here would have been for Onesimus to get a collar around his neck and be treated like a dog with a dog tag. Yet God, in his mercy, has so much more for Onesimus. There's even a tradition that he became the bishop of Berea and died as a martyr. So Onesimus is exhibit C of gospel transformation. Three transformed people. And finally, last point we see a sacrifice, a sacrifice. Reconciliation has a cost. This is Paul's promise. When a wrong is committed, a price needs to be paid. This is called restitution. Paul, at full expense to himself, offers to repay Onesimus' entire debt. Of course, no one would expect Philemon To send a bill. But Paul was so confident of Onesimus' change. That he knew Philemon would do the right thing. He put everything he had on the line. For a slave. No merit. For Onesimus. Hadn't done anything good. Didn't deserve this. And Paul sets forth a greater vision. Of him coming. And sitting and eating together. Do you have that vision about your relationship that might be broken? Sitting, eating with that person again? Does that sound like someone else? Sitting, eating together at peace, Christ. As we close, let me close with a final thought. You must... First, be reconciled to God before you can reconcile to others. And I think believer and unbeliever need to hear that. You don't need to turn there again, but let our last verse in 2 Corinthians, verses 20 and 21. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. For everyone here, past or present, sin has made you unreconciled and unrighteous. Not at peace with God, not right with God. This is what sin is. To Sin is to fall short of the glory of God in Romans 3.23. Maybe you're not a believer and you think, well, Onesimus, fugitive slave, he was one of those bad sinners that needed mercy. I'm generally a good person. I wouldn't steal anything. The Bible calls that self-righteousness, not the righteousness of God. Truly, if Jesus opened on the books on you, what would he see? Have you stolen even small? You're just a thief like Onesimus. Have you lied? Even small? You're a liar. Lust, adultery, in the words of Christ. How many little wrongs have you done to God and others? Your sins are many, and you know it. We all know it. A ton of pebbles weighs the same as a one-ton boulder. Big sins Little sins, they all weigh the same in God's economy. Someone sent me a quote yesterday. We are all God's Onesimai. We've all stolen from God and fled from him. Classic Garden 101. We sinned and we hid ourselves. You need righteousness not of yourself. And this is what's called the alien righteousness of God. Something, Something outside of us. Something unexpected. Like in the garden. What were they to do? God made a provision for them. Gave them a covering by slaughtering an animal. How do you get this righteousness? What do I need to do? Can I fix it? Good deeds? Remove some pebbles from the scale? Tipped the scale in the right way? Maybe. No. No. You must trust Christ. He paid the penalty. He put everything on the line. He paid the restitution. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for you. No payment God could accept that we tried to make. It starts with God. It starts with his love. God shows his love for us that while we were yet sinners, enemies of God, Christ died for us. Jesus came on the cross to die for you. When he gave his life on that cross, just like that one there, he took away your sin. Gone. The pebbles, the boulders, the perfect man who knew no sin became sin for you. In his death, the penalty paid in full. When you trust that that death was your death, that you died, and his life is your life, you're forgiven of your sins. They get thrown into the sea, never to come out again, as far as the east is from the west. And as such, not under the burden of sin anymore, you think, you repent, you think again, you don't do the same thing anymore. You live for Christ, just in the same way that Paul described in 2 Corinthians a new creation. And as Jesus came out of that tomb, you too have a new life. Do you have that new life in Christ? I'm speaking to believers now. As a new creation, a person forgiven much loves much. And love covers over a multitude of sins. If you don't love God, you won't be able to love and forgive others. To be loved is to love. This is a fruit of your forgiveness. A fruit. It's not the basis of your forgiveness to forgive, it's a fruit of your forgiveness. And so the gospel changes the accounting. Maybe you're someone who keeps a good record of accounts of wrongdoing. I'm a tech guy. Let's be relational here. Who loves Excel? I love Excel. It's the best tool in the world. Okay. Excel has tabs at the bottom. Tab, 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 tab. And maybe in your mind, everybody has a tab. Well, you record, this person did that on this date, and that's how much it cost. And you build these tabs. And, you, and when you create another person, someone does something wrong to you, you build another tab. Another tab and another tab and another tab. And before you know it, everybody's in debt to you. And you bring it up. You show them the tab that they have with you. Someone did that to me. Two years ago, I did something wrong to them and they brought it up. Man, if Jesus did that to me, I'd be doomed. So will you sum the columns and give Jesus the total? Let him cancel it. Zero, null set, no more. This is where Christians struggle. I think in our minds we sometimes keep tabs on people. We remember what they've done, and then it affects our relationship when we see them. Because we think of them, not spiritually, we think of them physically. Somebody who did something wrong with me, they represent the wrong done. And we forget to forgive. Can we forgive the five? Because Christ has forgiven the 5,000. The story of the man who was forgiven much and then went and strangled a slave because he owed him five bucks. If we can't forgive others, our own sins will not be forgiven. Again, it's not because it is the basis of our forgiveness. It is because we are forgiven. Now, is it that easy? Of course not. Of course not. Some people have tabs that are really, really long and they really, 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 really hurt That's what that's for. Lay it at the foot of the cross. Bring your burden to Christ. Lay it on Jesus. He can bear it. As Paul did, entrust the outcome to God. Even if things don't go as planned, both sides of the coin are covered. One side might be, I'm going to pray that God saves that person. The other side might be, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Justice. That's the other side of the coin. No matter how you flip the coin, God's will will be done. And we do this for our worst enemy. Again, love keeps no record of wrongs. And at the cross, sin was paid in full. Jesus keeps no records. Should you? Corey ten Boom said another, say, another saying. She said, God throws our sins into the depths of the sea, so no fishing. <laughs> Further in 2 Corinthians 6, it says, today is the day of salvation. Today. Today is the day of radical transformation. So my desire for you as you leave is be reconciled to Christ. He was reconciled to you on the cross. Be reconciled to others today. You're mortal. You may not have tomorrow. Pray to start. Pray, pray, pray. Go if you need to. Think about what reconciliation likes looks like, looks, what it looked like in your own life. Think about the mercies of God. If you don't plant the seed of peace today, you will not reap the harvest tomorrow. James 3.18, a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So I pray that this sermon will be like a little check engine light in your soul. I've been driving around with a check engine light for a long time on my car. Go to Christ. I don't know what the problem might be, but something's not right. Go to Christ. Practically, consider the church your ally in this. The, The letter was written to the church. We are here to help Come and speak with me or someone you trust, Jason, one of the pastors, elders. I'll be up here. Jason's over here on the right. And we'd love to see you follow Christ today even. Be reconciled to Christ first and foremost, and you will be reconciled to others. I'm going to read for you a quote to close this out. This is from Dietrich Bonhoeffer's Life Together. The fact that Jesus Christ died is more important than the fact that I shall die. The fact that Jesus rose from the dead is the sole ground of my hope that I too shall be raised on the last day. Our salvation is external to ourselves. Amen? Amen. I find no salvation in my life history. Many sins but only in the history of Jesus Christ. Only he who allows himself to be found in Jesus Christ, in his incarnation, in his cross, in his resurrection, is with God and God with him. May you truly see in your life the life of Christ and see his great salvation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, for this small story of reconciliation, Lord, this small story where we gain a glimpse into the true power of the gospel to reconcile us to you. And Lord, I pray that this morning that those who are not reconciled to you might be reconciled through the blood of Christ, for you knew no sin, you loved your enemies. And what amazing grace that is to see that. And Lord, as we sing, as we meditate, as we leave, as we go, may we go with the intent to make peace, because you made peace with us. So we thank you, Lord, and we ask for the blessing on the remainder of our time. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.